This summer, we're going to explore the Sermon on the Mount in depth. It shares the heart of Jesus and gives us a glimpse of the kind of kingdom he was trying to create here on earth. To the average Jew of his day, it offered a very radical understanding because they lived in a very oppressed world where they often live without hope. And not only does this Sermon on the Mount offer hope, but it challenges them to rise above their existence, live into something much greater than themselves. It's also still challenging us to this day as we live in a world that often has values far different from what Jesus shares in the Sermon on the Mount. So I challenge you to embrace that. Now, it is so radical of a teaching, you'll find historically, both in preaching and commentaries, people often suggest that maybe we, we just need to soften his words, that Jesus didn't really mean for us to do these things. We figure, well, he's, he's just setting that ideal up there that we should strive for. Or the thought that he's trying to show the difference between where God is and where we are and how much we are in need of God's grace. But if we listen carefully to what was just read in Matthew 7, 24, 29, Jesus makes clear that he expects to be taken seriously. These words are there for us to build a solid foundation, not just for ourselves, but for our world. So I invite you to approach the Sermon on the Mount in that way. Now, you may also notice when you start reading through the Sermon on the Mount all at one time, you'll notice that at first, Jesus seems to be talking and teaching just to his disciples. But as you continue, all of a sudden, there's this big crowd. We don't know where that crowd comes from. And so most, most scholars and readers have come to the conclusion that what Matthew has done is he's taken an event that did occur in Jesus' life. He did share a Sermon on the Mount, but he has taken that setting and gathered Jesus' moral sayings that were probably said more than one occasion in many different locations and brought them together for the convenience of writing his gospel that shares the summary of who Jesus is. Now, we don't know who wrote the gospel of Matthew. The gospel itself does not identify that. There is a tradition that's not well-founded that suggests that, that the disciple Matthew wrote it, but that's unlikely. But what we do know about the writer is that he was well-versed in the Old Testament. He had to be a Jewish Christian who's trying to reach a Jewish audience, who's trying to set forth the argument that Jesus is the Messiah that we anticipated, even though the picture of this Messiah is a little different than what we originally thought. And we know that for lots of reasons. One is the numerous Old Testament references in this gospel. There are 96 times that Matthew refers to the Old Testament. Versus in Luke, you'll find it is mentioned 58 times in the Gospel of Mark, only 34 times. You also notice if you'd read through the whole Gospel of Matthew in one sweep, you discover there's these sections where there's a clear beginning and clear ending to a teaching section of Jesus that we call the five discourses. And scholars have come to believe that, that Matthew has something very powerful to make in that statement that the, his readers of that day would, would grasp and understand. Because why is that number five so significant? Well, the Torah, the Jewish law, is the first five books of that Old Testament. It's called the Pentateuch. It's penta means five. Matthew is trying to suggest that in this gospel, we're finding the new law that Jesus is presenting to us. 
and that Jesus is the new means of salvation. Now keep in mind, the Torah for the average Jew was how they found God's approval. It's how they found his affirmation. For them, obedience to the law was salvation. And Matthew is suggesting there's a new law. Even beyond that, the parallels between Moses, who brought the first law, the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people, and Jesus are very strong. We find that, that, Matt, that Moses and Jesus both share a very unusual birth. Moses and Jesus also had to deal with hostile powers and they had to flee for their lives. And then when you come to the Sermon on the Mount, you discover there's this, this parallel between going up to the Sermon on the Mount and Moses going up to Mount Sinai. Matthew has them both described Moses sat down on Mount Sinai. And Jesus sat down as every good rabbi of his day would as well. They even, Matthew takes the opportunity to basically quote verbatim Exodus 34, 29 to point out that Jesus came down from the mountain just like Moses came down from the mountain. And so the implication is that Jesus is the new Moses. The Sermon on the Mount is the new Torah. You'll find in Matthew chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount that five different times Jesus says, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. So Jesus is offering a new standard, a higher standard that doesn't really replace the Torah, but fulfills the Torah. Jesus doesn't replace Moses but he's the fulfillment of what Moses brought to them. So with that, I'm going to pass this message along to Ava Peterson, one of our seniors today. We gathered together four of our seniors who felt comfortable in articulating their faith. We did a little Bible study on this passage. And then we invited them to read the whole Sermon about and using some questions and guidelines Try to share what it meant to them and how it spoke to them. So Ava Peterson, who's going to Ball State this, this year, is going to major in natural resources and environmental management, and she's going to minor in Spanish. She's going to be very busy. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ava Peterson, and as of this Tuesday, I will officially be a Noblesville High School alumni. Wow, that's insane. Um, so usually for graduation Sunday, all the seniors of this church get to um, have the opportunity to, to share a little bit about their highlights of their faith journey, um, the ups and downs, everything in between. However, this year we actually have the opportunity to get a little bit deeper with you guys and dive right into God's words and his teachings with you. So bear with me. I promise I'll try to do my best to fill these pastors' amazing shoes. Um, so though the Sermon on the Mount may be a collection of many sayings and teachings from Jesus, today I just want to focus on one important aspect of what Jesus is communicating to us. Um, it's a concept always present, but I think we kind of take for granted a lot. It's a concept of love. So in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, Jesus actually disproves the common belief among all of us regarding the concept of love. He says that we often are told to love our neighbor and hate our enemies. Makes sense, right? 
If someone isn't nice to you, why should we be expected to be nice in return? However, in this verse, it's made evident that this is not what Jesus wants us to, how he wants us to live our lives. In his words, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is definitely a difficult concept for me um, to wrap my head around and even more difficult to put into action. You mean I'm supposed to love people that are mean to me? What? Fortunately, I have had some good guidance throughout my faith journey um, with this. Many of you are sitting in this audience right now. Um, my favorite author, Bob Goff, writes about love a lot. His latest novel, Everybody Always, um, is all about loving everybody always. Um, he writes, love your neighbor, even the ones you don't understand. So a year and a half ago, I became a mentor for middle school girls through a program called Wildlife, an outreach ministry focused on meeting kids where they are in their walk with Christ. So every week, I meet with my middle school girls and chat about literally everything um, from schoolwork to friend drama to family. Um, and then we get a little bit deeper and talk about their personal journeys with the Lord. Um, so I quickly learned that not all the conversations were easy. Guys, there were kids that everybody knew, obviously. There were the ones who easily showed love, the ones that were easily loved back. Um, everyone was willing to listen to their stories. However, there were definitely others, too. Guys, to Bob Goff's point, there were definitely some I didn't understand. They were standoffish. They were shy. They participated in school, like, sports that... I didn't even know existed, in all honesty. Um, they were so different from me, I struggled creating relationships with them. Oftentimes, I even questioned why I was even trying, why I was even pouring out so much love to them, because it felt like my love was not even making an impact on them. However, one day, God revealed to me truly why I was in wildlife in the first place, why I was pouring out so much unreciprocated love. One girl who barely spoke to me, never said hi to me, ever, came up to me with a real-life problem. She opened up to me like no one has ever opened up to me before. She trusted me with her struggles and looked up to me for advice. Me? Oftentimes, it feels like our love for people goes unnoticed and our words go unheard. Though my middle schoolers are anything but my enemies, <laughs> they definitely changed uh, my definition of love. They... I learned that God wants us to love everyone, even the ones who seem to be the hardest to love. And it's definitely important to remember that in his words, he never said loving everybody always was going to be easy. He simply tells us that as humans inhabiting his earth, we got to do it. Further, love must never be stationary. We shouldn't save up this love for others as if we're going to use it later. Um, because we have the opportunity to be rivers of love and not just reservoirs. Um, because what we do with our love beca um, becomes the conversations we get to have with God later, which is so awesome. Um, guys, I know we've heard this like a million times, but I'm going to say it again. Our God is love. No matter how we may interpret this verse or that verse, this worship song, that hymn, um, what church you belong to, the bottom line is that in order to show people who our God is, we've got to show them love first. Um, as Christians, our mission may be to bring them to church, um, but I believe our greater mission is to just show them who our God actually is. And according to the transitive property, shout out my 12 years of education, 
Um, if our God is love, then in order to show people who our God is, we have to show them love. Um, in 1 John 4, 8, it says, whoever does not know love does not know God because God is love. Um, as many of you know, Pastor Aaron talked about this earlier as well, something horrific shook our community um, a week ago Friday. My middle schoolers who were at that West Middle School are forever changed. Heck, we all are. My immediate thought, like I'm sure many of you, were absolutely to be angry at that child who decided to open fire. It made no sense. However, later that day, I actually attended a prayer service just on the road, um, and the pastor challenged me to pray um, for that kid and pray that God may fix his brokenness that he feels inside. Revealed to me on Friday was the importance of coming together as a community. We, are able to, we were able to stand by each other's side in all of our times of need. In Bob Goff's book, he writes, God doesn't give us a recipe for living as a community, but he gives us great ingredients. He gives us everybody always. If we are going to get it right, it's going to take everybody to pull it off. And it won't get done in a day or two either. It's going to take always. As difficult as it may seem, Jesus challenges us through his teachings to pray for our enemies and to show abundant love to those that we don't understand. Today, I challenge us to all walk confidently into a life with an embrace of others that has no limits, following the precedent Jesus has set forth through his actions and his teachings in the Sermon of the Mount. Also, if I could just selfishly take advantage of this time while we're on the topic of love to recognize um, that I cannot go and notice that I owe all of what I have today to the love of this congregation. Um, there was a very dark time in my life when it seemed like my name would never leave that prayer uh, request list. And I don't want to dwell on it too long because it's not easy to talk about still, but I just want to recognize that the love poured out from all of you guys in my family's time of need, I believe, came directly from God. Um, you guys all demonstrated to me that the power of prayer is amazing. Um, so even though I may be leaving this community in the fall, I'm committed to living the same example of love um, that you guys showed to me and to my family along my life's journey. I wanted to just express my unwavering gratitude to every single one of you who prayed for me and who showed unconditional love to my family. I mean it when I say I'm here because of all of you. Um, thank you for showing me that all things are possible with God's love. And I'm done.